Sermon 3-7. Always seek the profit of God only. Genesis 3rd chapter, verses 1 through 24. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than any beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, 
for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The Bible says that Satan is cunning and wily. When people fall into Satan's cunning deception, they come to commit acts of hypocrisy. The very fact that Adam made garments of fig leaves and put them on is one such instance. The more one acts as a hypocrite, the farther he drifts away from God, for he would be relying on his own strength and trying to establish his own righteousness rather than seeking God's grace in his life and placing his faith in God's righteousness. Chapter 3 of Genesis describes how Adam and Eve fell deceived by Satan and how they were cursed by God as a result. The serpent said to Eve, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The cunning serpent used the word indeed here. And because of this word, Eve was ensnared by Satan's devious trap. Satan deliberately phrased his question like this to distort God's word and raise doubt in Eve's mind. Thus, assuring her that she would respond and luring her into his trap. But where did God ever say that Adam and Eve were not to eat of every tree? What God actually said was this, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2nd chapter, verses 16 and 17. Satan knew, no doubt, all this. And yet he came to Eve and asked her if God indeed told her not to eat of every tree of the garden. This can only mean that Satan had an ulterior malicious motive in his mind. If someone says something completely ridiculous and implausible, no one would listen to him. But if he couches his words to appear somewhat plausible, people would at least be willing to listen to him. In this age, also the cunning devil is using the same deception to lead mankind to misbelieve in Jesus and fall into destruction. 
If Satan were to outright prevent people from believing in Jesus, this would backfire. So, at first, the devil leaves them alone to believe in Jesus. But he makes sure that they are deceived into believing according to false teachings so that they would not be saved from their sins despite believing in Jesus. Now, as back in the days of Adam and Eve, Satan is extremely cunning. Satan is so cunning and wily that he came armed with deceptive words determined to undercut man's faith. So the devil said, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Eve then said to him, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Because of this, Eve was not only deceived by Satan, but she was fatally wounded also. In other words, her faith was shaken by the wily devil. She had kept in her mind what God had said to her until then, but her faith was now all shaken by Satan's single blow. So when someone is once ensnared by the devil's cunning trap, his faith gets corrupted like this. We must therefore know how to discern spiritual work from carnal work. If God's workers cannot discern the work of the spirit from that of the flesh, they will inevitably make countless blunders. Unless a minister knows what is spiritual work and what is carnal work, he will fall into the wily deception of Satan. As such, we must clearly discern what is spiritual from what is carnal. Can anyone, then, discern the spiritual from the carnal all by himself? No. That is why there must be leaders in God's church, and every worker and saint must be led by the servants of God. When God appoints his servants, he gives them spiritual discernment. By ensuring that his servants are able to see how Satan is now trying to deceive the saints in what areas, God enables them to lead the saints correctly. God has established his church and appointed his servants to work in it so that the saints would be led appropriately so as not to be deceived by Satan's cunning tricks. As we can see in today's scripture passage, the devil did not say something that was 100% wrong. About 5% of what he said were fallacious and the remaining 95% were valid. He did not mention the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the middle of the garden, but instead he added indeed to his words and asked, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The devil added the word indeed here, but the rest of his question was couched almost identically to what God had said. 
Then Eve answered him by saying, No, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So as we can see here, it was under the serpent's influence that Eve came to utter faithless words. People are also influenced by their company. When they are with someone spiritual, their minds are also bound to become spiritual. But when they are with carnal people, their minds are bound to become carnal as well. And when someone is with the devil, he is bound to come under the devil's cunning influence without even realizing no matter how hard he might try not to be influenced by Satan. Like this, Eve was now under the influence of Satan here. That is why, instead of believing in God's word exactly as he said, that she would surely die if she ate the forbidden fruit, Eve said that God told her not to eat the fruit, lest you die. Even after being born again, if we still continue to maintain our relationship with the religionist whom we knew before, then we are prone to be influenced by them. Although what these people say is nonsense, if we keep seeing them, it's inevitable that we would be drawn to them. Indeed, if we continue to get together with those who have nothing to do with the word of God, listen to their sermons, participate in their gatherings, and pray with them, then we will gradually get attracted to their falsehood. Since their falsehood at first appears very similar to the truth, we get accustomed to it gradually without much aversion. So in the end, we come to lose our faith completely. None other than this is Satan's cunning and wily work. That is why the Lord said, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16th chapter verse 6. If the righteous keep listening to the worldly people, their faith is bound to collapse. Eve's faith was also undermined because she listened to the serpent. As a result, she said, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. It is clearly written in the Bible that Jesus took away all the sins of the world by being baptized by John. Yet there are many Christians who confess Although I believe in Jesus as my Savior, there still is sin in my heart. This is just another way of saying, all my sins were not actually taken away by Jesus, meaning, in essence, He is not my Savior. We see so many people whose faith is corrupted like this. Every house must have a fence and a door. The inside of the house must be clearly distinguished from the outside. 
If people's faith in the gospel of the water and the spirit has changed, it is because they did not put up a fence of faith. Such people keep going to false prophets, lurking around to see if there is something they can gain there. They continue to expose themselves to falsehood and they eventually end up becoming faithless people. We must have the eye that can see the whole picture. Even our spiritual enemies have some elements right. If we look at only certain aspects, we would indeed find out that. On some spiritual accounts, our spiritual enemies are not entirely wrong. But if we were to forget about their whole fallacies because of this tiny merit, then we will become just like them on the whole. As I have said time after time, we must clearly mark the border of the truth between these enemies and us. That is because only then does our faith stand upright and we can defend this faith in our lives. God's church is the gathering of the people of God who believe in his word. In this case, there is no spiritual leaven. If any leaven has come in, then it is God's church that removes all this leaven. Mankind's own way of thinking and its value systems are leaven, and God's church removes these leavens with the word of God. If this world did not have God's church, people would be living in a world filled with only leaven. Where there is the leaven of mankind, there never arises any gospel work of the water and the spirit. Books written by those who have not been born again are no more than a pile of leaven. And if anyone continues to tolerate such things, his soul will die in the end. God told us, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the midst of the garden. If you do, you will die for sure. But if we don't believe this, then we will fall into Satan's cunning deception and end up losing whatever little faith that we might have had. Satan challenges us endlessly, enticing us to become hypocrites. His challenge is extremely cunning. This is how the devil approaches us so cunningly. He approaches us as someone who understands and sympathizes with our carnal needs or as someone who incites us to demand God's servants to compromise and accommodate our carnal desires. In Christ, we do understand those who are struggling with their carnal desires. But even so, what must be made clear is that the church should not tolerate the intentions of the carnal people. Since we too have the flesh, Sometimes we find ourselves seeking our own carnal desires, but this is not the right faith. If we ourselves follow our carnal minds and the church also allows our fleshly desires, 
then we will be left only with a handful of Christian doctrines and human relationships. True faith will be corrupted, and consequently, we will come to espouse that the gospel is found elsewhere in every church as well. If the church places too much emphasis on carnal affairs, it is a foregone conclusion that the church would not be able to lead souls properly. For instance, let's assume here that a certain family is so poor that they need to provide financial help. Of course, if financial help would benefit these souls, then it's more than possible for us to provide this help. However, there is a pitfall here in that someone who gets financial benefits from the church is quite likely to only want material benefits. And when such benefits are not provided to his satisfaction later on, he is likely to leave the church. I have seen this far too many times. 1 John 1st chapter verse 9 says, If we confess sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is the difference between worldly Christianity and God's church that believe in the gospel of the water and the spirit? Worldly Christians also say they have no sin as Jesus took away all their sins. However, they also say that the remission of sin is received every time they confess their daily sins and give prayers of repentance, day after day. In contrast, we, we believe that even if we do not confess, Jesus already took away all the sins of the world. God convicts our hearts to teach us what we have done wrong. It is for this reason that we admit our wrongdoings and confess our sins, not because they're in our hearts and we seek to be remitted from our sins by doing so. In reality, Adam was Eve's leader. Wherever there are two or more people, God inevitably raises a leader. When two of our workers, along with their family, families to Yambi in China to preach the gospel there, the church appointed Evangelist Chang as their leader. The church told Evangelist Chang to lead and Evangelist Park to ask him in all things and never decide or act by himself. By doing so, they have served the gospel there well. Like this, there must be clear leaders in God's church. Just because you and I are serving the gospel, this does not mean that we would all become people of faith. When the dross of our flesh comes up continuously, we must remove it and follow the Lord. We do not become leaders just by receiving the remission of our sins and being zealous. God's servants must be able to clearly discern what is spiritual from what is carnal, knowing what Satan's wiles are and deal them wisely. Only then 
can God and God's church lead the saints properly? And church leaders must prevent Satan from disturbing God's church. Everyone thinks that all his thoughts are right and spiritually sound. So in the absence of a leader, no way for us to discern whether the many, many thoughts that come to our minds are spiritual or carnal. Only when we have someone who guides us, when we can defend our faith, lead other souls properly, and not become deceived by Satan's wiles. Satan is extremely cunning. The devil is so cunning that even God's servants may be deceived. In order to ensure that you are not deceived by Satan, you must stand spiritually upright. In other words, you must stand firm on the word. Our minds, carnal thoughts and spiritual thoughts, but it is on the spiritual thoughts that we must stand by faith. That is why those who are spiritual do not assert their own rightfulness of the flesh. They do not trust in their own flesh. As the Apostle Paul said, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3rd chapter verse 3. While working to serve God, spiritual people never insist on their own carnal thoughts. They deny themselves and follow the Lord. That is because they know that they are mere flesh and only the Lord is spirit. And that is why they come to deny themselves and follow the Lord. In the church, following God's word and the guidance of the church does not come by without a price, but it is made possible only if we deny ourselves. The Bible says, a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Genesis 2nd chapter verse 6. This means that the thoughts from our minds are always evil and seek our carnal desires only and that such a carnal mind is of no profit to our spiritual lives. How then can we deny ourselves? Can we deny ourselves only when we believe that our thoughts are always wrong and what God's church does is always right? The saints must realize that they are of the flesh and the Lord is spirit and they must know and believe that God has raised his servants in his church, that he has given them spiritual minds and faith and that this is how God leads his church. It is then that the saints can deny themselves and be led by the church. If God's church were so full of carnal love that it would blindly tolerate just about everyone and gloss over even problematic members, people would love this. When viewed in carnal terms, it may seem as though the church would prosper and more saints and a greater revival would arise if we were to minister like this. But when viewed spiritually, this would only kill the soul. If God's servants 
were to tolerate all the carnal desires of the saints, they may like this at that time, but their souls would not be able to grow and be transformed spiritually. When a saint's carnal wickedness is revealed and a church leader rebukes him sharply, he may think, this guy must be a cold-hearted leader. He is so uncaring. But once this moment passes by, the Lord will awaken him. The Lord will teach him properly, saying, he had to do so to train you, and your thoughts were not right. Our Lord has the truth and love. His love is not the kind of love that blindly tolerates everything. There is justice to the Lord. In other words, there is both justice and the love of our Lord. When the saints need our help, we must help them even if they do not want our help. No matter how someone might be nice and generous to you in the flesh, and how he might be so agreeable to you in the flesh, this carnal relationship cannot last long. It will fall apart in no time, for it is like a house built on sand. We must discern what is spiritual. While we may not be able to live spiritually for 100% of the time, in our hearts, we must discern what is spiritual and what is carnal, and we must live by the Holy Spirit. God will then work in our lives. The truth will keep us, and our spiritual faith will protect us. This is how the church is born. As a matter of fact, God's church cannot be established by just anyone. Just because we have received the remission of our sins by believing in the gospel of the water and the spirit, this does not mean that any of us can establish God's church if only we would preach this gospel. First of all, a servant of God is needed to establish his church. God's servants must have the ability to foresee what might happen to the saints in the future and they must know how to discern the spiritual from the carnal and to lead souls properly. Only then can a church of God be established and do its ministries. Only then are the servants of Satan driven out from the church even as they have sneaked in, and God himself fulfills goodness in the church. However, if we try to serve the gospel and lead the church, even as we can't discern the spiritual from the carnal, we will only end up serving the devil. My fellow believers, what would happen if we were so faithless to say, lest you die, instead of you shall surely die? It would be all over for us. What would be the result of preaching the gospel to the people then? After listening to all of the gospel truth, they might say, Jesus took away all my sins. Hallelujah! But since I still commit sin every day, I have to be remitted from my personal sins by giving prayers of repentance. 
That is biblically sound. Look here. Look at 1 John, first chapter, verse 9. Doesn't it say that I should give prayers of confession? This is the very claim of those whose faith is bankrupt. I have mentioned prayers of confession in my previous discussion. It is because our conscience is troubled on our side that we confess. Not because God wants to accept our confession on his side. Because God has already blotted out all our sins with the gospel of the water and the spirit, when looked by faith, all our sins have already disappeared. It is to free ourselves from evil that we confess, not because we have sin. Do you understand what I mean here? If, however, we were to say out of our faithlessness, the remission of sin is received by confessing. Then from then on, we would be standing against God and building the kingdom of the devil. Even as we toil away and suffer, the more we preach the gospel without having proper faith, the more people will actually end up joining the devil's army. Even though this would not be our intention, it would be the result. In fact, it would be better for such people not to lead their lives of faith. However, there are those among such people who really want to lead an earnest life. They try so hard that they would never spend money for themselves, but only for others. But when looked at spiritually, they would actually be more beneficial to God by doing nothing at all. Such people do such things precisely because they cannot discern the spiritual from the fleshly. In other words, it is because they fell into the wily tricks of Satan that this has happened. As we carry on with our lives of faith, we experience for ourselves how all kinds of filthy thoughts arise in us from time to time. So it is wise to be led from the beginning and follow the word of God. Just as the people of Israel all followed the Ark of the Covenant, so must we follow God's word. We must become such workers who know what is spiritual and who really follow the spirit by faith. We must discern what is spiritual. For instance, the trainees of our mission school are not mainly taught how to preach the word of God. Rather, they are trained to follow the will of God by learning how to discern the desires of the Holy Spirit from the desires of the flesh. Put differently, they are disciplined to deny themselves in order to serve the gospel of the water and the spirit more faithfully. Their purpose of coming to the mission school is to realize what kind of life is the right life to live. If they realize this and indeed practices it by faith in their lives, then there will be nothing more to learn. You must listen to the word of God, grow in faith, follow your predecessors of faith, obey them and unite with them. Let me tell you a small story here. Long ago, 
there was a kingdom filled with smart people and another kingdom filled with fools. And these two kingdoms happened to get into war. Everyone in the smart kingdom was full of wisdom from its king to the minister of defense, all the way down to the rank and file. On the other hand, everyone in the dim-witted kingdom was stupid, from its king to the ministers of defense, correction. On the other hand, everyone in the dim-witted kingdom was stupid, from its king to the minister of defense and all its soldiers. War broke out between these two completely opposite kingdoms. The commanding officer of the smart kingdom shouted out, charge, but its soldiers also thought, if I charge ahead like this, I'll be the first to die. I should hide myself in a hole first. And when the enemy is all tired out, I will go out into the battlefield and distinguish myself greatly. So they all dug themselves into the ground and hid. In contrast, when the commanding officer of the dumb kingdom shouted out, charge, its soldiers continued to charge ahead. So one by one, they proceeded to stab to death the smart kingdom soldiers who had dug themselves into holes. Who won the war? The kingdom of fools won the war. Likewise, we can follow the rules of God's church only if we become dumb. In fact, you are all dumb with it. The people of the world say that they just can't understand us since we seem so stupid in their carnal eyes. And they say that no one believes like we do, even if God's word says so. So when viewed by the standard of the world, we are fools. We are idiots. Worldly Christians call us fools and treat us as idiots, since they can compromise with the world so easily and are so flexible in their dealings. But we follow only the word of God and preach only the gospel of the water and the spirit exclusively. When viewed by the standard of mankind, we would indeed think that it is stupid to follow God's church. In fact, if we follow the Lord properly, then it is only a matter of course that we should be treated like this. As the Lord said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Luke 6, chapter verse 26. Sometimes God's church also seems to have little compassion for the saints. There is hardly any private life, and when we reveal our own thoughts, we only get rebuked in return. However, it is because our thoughts are not right before God that the church rebukes us to correct our flaws. If we spoke our opinions by really believing in the word, the church would then approve them as right. To follow God's church is to follow the Lord. Only when we are spiritual can we follow God's church. And only when we know and follow God's will through his church can we follow the Lord. My fellow believers, 
Do you want to follow the will of God? Do you desire to follow God's will no matter what happens to you? If you have such a desire, then you can follow the Lord. As you carry on with our work, there are times when the results are not so good. But if our hearts yearn to follow the Lord, he will fulfill everything. If it is the Lord's will for us to lay bricks, then we must lay them. And if it is the Lord's will to bring down the wall again, then we must bring it down with a joyful heart. If we want to obey the will of the Lord, we can do everything and anything. Only someone who goes wherever the Lamb leads can walk with the Lord. Revelation 14th chapter verse 4. There is definite order in the kingdom of the Lord. Though unseen in the eye, there are order and wisdom in God's church. Though unseen, there are authority and true faith in it. When we see how a certain task is carried out, sometimes it looks so clumsy to us that we think what kind of work is done without any discussion and any plan. But down the road, we eventually see ourselves and agree. Oh, so the leader started the work under such a plan. He did this with a foresight, even though there was nothing in place. God's church does not do anything for no reason. Although it takes due time for the results to show up, it is with a foresight, meticulous planning, and ceaseless prayers that the leader's servant lays each block one by one according to the whole picture in his mind. This is God's wisdom and his will. In our lives of faith, we must learn spiritual discernment from our leader servant. What is the will of God? If it pleases God, then we must subdue ourselves even if we are not happy and our thoughts run contrary. We must die, but the Lord must live. And we must fail, but the Lord must succeed. Your desires and mine must be denied, but the will of the Lord must be fulfilled. With this desirable correction, with this spiritual discernment, we must deny and subdue ourselves. And we must seek after what benefits the Lord. Whatever glorifies the Lord and benefits his kingdom, we must do without any hesitation. If the Lord says to us, now that you have received the remission of your sins, you should separate yourselves from the world, then we must separate ourselves unconditionally, regardless of whether we lose our face or not. And if the gospel of the water and the spirit can be spread more and further, then we should do whatever it takes to achieve this. How could we ever please the Lord if we are mindful of our own pride and our own comfort? If the Lord is pleased, we must dedicate all our hearts. This is the mind that we should have. The Lord said, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We must be beneficial to the Lord and God's church, even if this would entail our loss. You and I must seek the Lord's profit foremost. It is when we have such a heart that we can follow God faithfully. And it is then that we can experience the living God. Do our hearts seek our own benefits or the Lord's benefit? Do we follow the Lord's will or our own will? We have to discern this clearly and live the kind of life that pursues the Lord's profit. And we must pray to the Lord to attain such a heart. With this heart obtained by praying, we must march forth step by step. We must be led by God every step of the way and run toward the goal. Here in today's scripture passage, had Eve sought the Lord's benefit, she would have seen through the wiles of Satan, but instead she was seized by her own thoughts and ended up ensnared by Satan's trap. When the devil said to her, did God tell you not to eat from every tree of the garden? His temptation would have been over had Eve been upright with her words. She should have said, no, I'll make it clear to you. God said that I can eat from every tree in the garden, but he told me not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the middle of the garden. Get it now? Don't waste your breath on me. But Eve did not seek God's profit and glory. God has enabled human beings to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Of course, there is a reason why God made mankind weak. We know that God made us weak so that we would be born again through the Lord and become his children as a result. Now we have already been born again. If we were now facing the same situation as Eve did, what should we do then? We should seek God's benefit. It is precisely because we have been born again that we must seek God's interest. We should seek God's profit in all things. Since we became God's children from the very moment we believed in the gospel of the water and the spirit and were born again, we must seek the interests of God's church and of the gospel. It is then we are able to do anything. When God tells us to preach the word, we can preach the word. And when he tells us to earn material means to serve the gospel, we can also earn them to offer to him. From God's view, those who can command to do anything are those who first follow God's prophet and think of his will before anything else. It is those who seek God's benefit, the gospel's benefit, and the church's benefit, whom God raises as his servants and through whom he is glorified. Do you understand what I mean here? You must become such people who seeks God's prophet first. Our present ministry itself is not for our own denomination. To be quite frank, it is simply ridiculous 
that so many Christians would regard any Christian community other than their own denomination as heresy. This is not seeking the Lord's benefit. Human beings are so narrow-minded that they seek only their own benefits instead of God's benefit. But since we have been born again, it is God's interest that we must seek. That we must seek God's benefits does not mean that we would blindly do whatever work, but we must seek God's profit wisely and plan our work appropriately suitable to the time so that the devil may not take advantage of us and the kingdom of God should rise even more forcefully. You and I must live the kind of life that seeks God's benefit. It is to live such a life that we are running the mission school. The mission school issues neither grade nor diploma, nor is it accredited by the secular world. However, I am sure that the best place that trains the workers to grow into God's army, seeking his interests, is our mission school. It is my hope and prayer that the trainees at our mission school would all grow in faith and live for the Lord in their actual lives once they complete the mission school. We all are God's soldiers who remain on this earth after receiving the remission of our sins for God's benefit. Realizing this and trusting in it, let us live our lives before God by faith.